good. Did you ever play an instrument? Have you had a real yeah, metronome? I can, pl- I can play the piano a little bit, but I can't read music. So I improvise oh. and I play by ear. But my mum was a music teacher, so oh. she always wanted me to play the piano and she gave okay. me lessons and then I kind of rebelled against it, hated it, <laughs> but then went back and uh, realised that I could actually play the piano and basically play more and more every day. So but it's nice. all on the computer. Very nice. Mm. Well, why um, aren't we using that for our initial intro Well, we bits? are. Most of it is my music. Oh, no way. Most of it all over the first series is all my music. It's me and my music partner. We do it, we do it all. Yeah, did you not know that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, that's my sideline. <laughs> I mean, this is all trade secrets. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going Now on. you're ill. I'm getting the real inside line. You've no. dropped your guard. Well, now, now here is the update. I was ill. It would be fair to say I've still got a little bit of residual croak. <laughs> here for episode four, but I'm over the worst. And again, you find me, Jonathan Overend, valiantly stepping forth with Melissa Wilson to record Emergency on Planet Sport. How are you today? Yes, hello. Well, I have no residual cold. Your illness didn't come through the airwaves, so I'm still fine and dandy and ready Good. for what, what, are you, what are you up to? Where, where, where in the world do we find you? What are, I'm what's in going Greenock. On? I'm on the west coast of Scotland um, in a tiny little town. I'm heading across to Arran tomorrow to go climb a hill on a Friday, which is um, benefit of freelance. Yes. Oh, well, good luck for that. That sounds like absolutely glorious. Yeah. Thank have you. you done that before? Have I taken Fridays off? Yes, sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, but... you've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not to climb Goatfell. So I've got a 650 ferry over the waves and we'll then hopefully just... I don't have a map, so I'm just going to be looking for the highest point and, and making my way up there in a quick enough time to get the ferry back at the end of the day. <laughs> anyway, not unlike what has gone previously, we are rambling and we are thinking off the top of our head and we wanted in this episode to pick up on something that Pete Smith from Bristol City said in the last episode. He was good, wasn't he? He was, he was talking about how the authenticity... Sorry, what, what was that word? Uh, how authenticity at the top of an organisation in sport is so important. And, and I get that, Melissa. Without that... You're kind of nothing, aren't you? Yeah. We've always said that we really need the buy-in from every level of sport. I think Pete gestured towards that in uh, our last episode. And if you haven't listened to it, please bounce back. I think it's really important kind of ground layer for where we're going today, which is actually heading into that top level of sport. We said from the beginning, I think, Jonathan, it was one of your ambitions that we were going to talk to a CEO of a global sports federation. And here we have it for episode four. Well, I'm in Wimbledon in southwest London, which I think gives you a, a major clue to the sport we're talking about here. It is tennis, and I'm visiting one of tennis's great acronym governing bodies. Tennis can't exist without an acronym. Uh, you've got the LTA, the ITF, the WTA, the USTA, the FFT. I've forgotten somewhere along the way. But anyway, this organisation is the ATP. Now, they're the governing body of men's tennis. So they're the umbrella organisation which look after the players, the tournaments, the structure of the men's tour, basically. They have a lot of influence, a lot of commercial partners, a lot of stakeholders, and obviously a lot of athletes under their wing. They have offices in London, in Florida, in Sydney, in Monte Carlo. There's a lot going on, basically. Now, they're not coming forward onto this podcast saying, we know everything, we're perfect, far from it. But they did accept our invitation to be part of it. And for that, 
we're very grateful. And the man I'm going to meet is the man at the very top. He's the chief executive officer. He used to be one of the top marketing executives at Nike, so he has a very interesting perspective. He is Massimo Calvelli. Let's meet him. Well, Massimo, first of all, thank you so much for inviting us here to the ATP today. And it's great to be able to talk to someone at the very top of a global organization like the ATP to just get an idea of where the sustainability challenge sits in your entry. How big a priority is it? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having us. Um, it certainly sits as one of the top strategic priorities for the company. It wasn't the case when I arrived at the beginning of 2020. I want to say probably the, 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 there was a lot of work being done, a lot of uh, initiatives in place. But I think what, what was lacking is, one, the coordinated strategic approach that we have now. Two, resources. It all, it all comes down, obviously, to how much you can commit in terms of resources, not only financially, but also in terms of expertise. So I would say that over the last 24 months, it has changed quite a bit in terms of what it sits uh, as a priority. It is now truly a strategic priority for the, for the company, for the ATP. Uh, it sits under the umbrella of ATP serves, which is basically our purpose strategy, or if you want, uh, our CSR strategy. Um, we're focusing on three different areas. We have decided to focus on mental health, which is truly authentic to our sport. I'm not sure there is any other sport that puts so much pressure mentally on athletes like tennis. Sustainability, obviously a priority. We have a global footprint and we're ultimately a traveling circus for the majority of the year. And, and finally, cultural diversity. Which again, a truly, truly global sport like tennis. I think there is a position to be taken there. Very interesting. So, so a lot to go at there. Um, a strategic priority. So is that to say it's at the heart of every decision you take as an organization? That's a very good question. I, I, in all honesty, I don't think we're there yet. I think it's a learning curve. I think uh, you, we also have to change our mindset and how we make decisions. I think we're starting to weave that in the majority of the decisions that we take. There is an expectation across the board for a, for a global league, a, a governing body like the ATP, to have a clear position, to take a clear position on issues that matter, issues that impact society. It starts with the fans. Uh, you, you can see this across many brands today. Uh, realistically, you have to stand for something and you have to take a position in important matters. There is an expectation from our fans. There is an expectation from our athletes. You see more and more athletes that are becoming activists in a way. Uh, I used to be a Nike before coming to the ATP and, and have done a lot of work around athletes' marketability and the importance of the voice that they carry, the microphone that they hold. Mm -hmm. And it is a theme that is becoming more and more relevant. So certainly from a, from a player's standpoint, there is a demand for us to be visible and to make the right choices and stand for the right values. There is an expectation from our partners I don't think, realistically speaking, today you can engage in a meaningful partnership with any company or any brand, ignoring stuff that is relevant to the world. And, and, and overall, again, I think we are expected to take a position with confidence, which I think is also one of the other things that maybe we haven't done in the past. As yes. 
But it's, it's, it's very interesting you talk about the athletes there and your experience at, at Nike because tennis is such a global sport, isn't it, with so many athletes right at the very top. But it is an individual game, so everyone's looking out for themselves. Do you think it is possible to sort of harness more interest in the top players to speak out on such vital issues such as the future of the planet? I, I think it is. I think every time we try to engage in a conversation, I think we have positive reaction and we have positive engagement. I think it is important to be focused, right? You could choose a number of things that can be relevant mm. to different individuals. So for us, we have identified three themes that we think are truly authentic to the sport. So realistically speaking, you're not going to be able to make an impact across 15, 25 different things. I would almost say no. that even three big pillars for us, a significant commitment. There was a conversation at some stage where we were saying maybe, maybe it should be two because you have to be laser focused if you want to make an impact. But as you do that and you truly commit to social causes and themes that are relevant, I think if the engagement and the commitment is there from an ATP standpoint, then I also see how the reaction and the engagement uh, from the athletes is there as well. You can also understand why some players may be reluctant to speak about it because they're getting on an aeroplane every week. What more, what more can we do to encourage players to almost not worry about that? You, you still have a voice, and despite your contribution to your carbon footprint, you can still influence in so many other areas in a positive way. Look, you're, you're, you're spot on. I think it starts with awareness and acceptance, right? We're by mm. no means, we're perfect, and uh, we deliver a tour that is truly global, so incredible footprint. Our events are like one week long, <laughs> the shorter ones. So when you compare it to a football match that is two hours, <laughs> the impact yeah. is different. We do have the majority of our events are played outside, outdoor. So you can see how climate change is ultimately intertwined with our sport pretty sure. much oh, every, yeah. every, every minute, right? With, with that in mind, I think we have to be able to engage in meaningful, meaningful conversations with our athletes. And I think there is a desire on their side as well to do that. The fact that ultimately we contribute to emissions, I think, has to be accepted and there is nothing wrong in accepting it and openly talk about it. The question becomes more, what are we going to do about it? And do we have the ability, do we have the power, do we have the resources to make a difference and, and offset some of the negative impacts that are coming from our sport? Yes. Do you think more could be done to coordinate the calendar to try to uh, reduce the amount of global travel? I know the calendar is a, a very difficult and tricky subject and you can't fix it just like that. But um, are, there, are there periods of the calendar that you look at and think, no, nah, that, doesn't, that doesn't quite look right? Look, as you said, calendar, extremely complex topic. I think we do a good job in taking into account player flow and obviously trying to limit situations where... Uh, our athletes have to jump from one continent to the other. So I think there, mm -hmm. is, there is a strategic thinking behind that. And it's not necessarily driven by uh, sustainability arguments. It's also the logistics of asking of course, our yeah. players to travel from, from one country to the other. 
could it be done better? I'm sure there is room for improvement. There are certain areas where we could do better, uh, but it's like, a, it's like a puzzle, right? Every piece that you move ultimately has an impact on, on everything else. We're making all these considerations yeah. pretty much nonstop around the clock. Absolutely. And a lot of it, as we said earlier, does come down to individual choice, doesn't it? I mean, I remember Andy Murray saying a couple of years ago that he wasn't going to uh, hire private planes anymore, for ex just as an example. So it's individual choice, isn't it? And you wonder whether more players in the future might come up with that uh, decision. In terms of the ATP, are you cutting down on the amount of short journeys you're making, for example, for in international business meetings, that sort of thing? Look, yes, absolutely. I think we're looking at two areas when it comes down to sustainability. One, one is uh, uh, resources consumption and need, need to be addressed. I think in today's world, if there is one thing that we learned with COVID is that a lot of things can happen virtually. Yes. So, and I think there was a fear, there was an element of, oh my God, if I'm not going to travel and meet these people, what is going to happen, right? We yeah. were forced to of learn. Course. Yeah, we were. And change can happen quickly. Exactly, yeah. exactly, absolutely. And we were forced to learn that you can still do a lot of things. There are certain moments where I think being face to face and, and, and having a personal interaction in the same space it is, is important. Do we have to travel every single week? Certainly not the case. And we're moving in a direction where we're trying to maximize that ability of doing a lot of things remotely and virtually. But ultimately, we don't control the entire tour, right? When you look at when you look at the ATP, certainly we control our own events and we want to be seen as setting the benchmark, for example, around the NITO ATP finals. Our new our new office here in London is also uh, is also been set up with that in mind. So wherever we can we have control and we can make an impact, we're certainly taking that into, into account when it comes down to resources consumption. We also developed a tournament toolkit, uh, we call it. Basically, is a set of guidelines and recommendations for tournaments to stage in a way where they reduce their resources consumption. So we're looking at that as one or two areas um, of focus for the ATP. And the second one, obviously, is tracking and offsetting emission. Um, I think an important uh, step in that journey has been when we uh, end of 2021, we signed up to the United Nations of Sports for Climate Action. Uh, so it was part of us coming out of the shelf and becoming more confident, making an important commitment that other organizations have made. Mm. Um, I think an important step in that space, one, because we're being held accountable. Like, and I think every process of improvement and learning starts with accountability, so it keeps us honest. Two, it allows us the ability to have access to expertise and partners. And I think, I think I mentioned it earlier, the ability and the comfort in communicating openly about it, even if we're not perfect, by no means we're, we're perfect, but that we embarked in a journey and we're looking at this as a priority and ultimately we want for things to get better, I think it has a positive effect. That's why having this conversation is, is so important because all, all the tennis fans around the world, unless they are real experts in this area, are all on that same journey as well. We're all just starting out, aren't we? I mean, I can't express to be perfect. Um, I came here on the train today, but I still have a, a, a petrol car sitting at home. So I haven't moved to electric yet, for example. So that's where I think governing bodies like the ATP can really lead and, and show leadership in harnessing a, a global fan base into taking that journey with you. And, and that's exciting, Massimo, isn't it? 
it's a challenge, but it's exciting. It, it is exciting. Uh, I'd like to say also that it's, it's generational in a way, right? I see my yeah. kids and it's like they look at this in a different way. It's like yeah. native in a way, right? They're just like mm. they, they own it and it's part of their life. I think at my age, it requires a little bit of a, a little bit more of an effort and a recalibration. But I think, look, we can all make a difference uh, in the small things and the big things. Obviously, the ATP, uh, as, a, as a, a global governing body, has a big responsibility, and we're trying to take it uh, very, very seriously and hopefully lead many others, fans, players, our tournaments to follow. And with a small contribution from many, ultimately, we can maybe make a big difference. Because, as you say, it is our children and our grandchildren's future we're talking about, and it is an existential threat to sport. You mentioned some of the tournaments that you put on around the world. Tennis is played in 30-degree heat regularly, sometimes even in 40-degree heat. That's not sustainable, is it? I mean, and you wonder if global warming increases the way it's going, where is breaking point? Does someone phone you up from a tournament one day and say, Massimo, we're at 44 degrees. We can't play tennis today. Someone has to then make a decision, actually, this is not healthy. And we don't want a tragedy to occur, do we, before we, we realize that sport can't happen unless we address this issue. Look, you're, you're sorry, that wasn't really a question. I was thinking out loud there. No, but there is, but there is, a, but there is a story there. So <laughs> my, first, my first day at the ADP was January 1st, 2020. I think I traveled to Australia. I must have been January 3rd or 4th. Yeah. The first issue that we had to deal with was bushfires in Australia. Yes, I remember it, yes, uh, yeah. 2020. And air quality. So here I am still trying to find my balance, new position. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? And you're dealing with, uh, with an issue that is like real out there mm. today. And you need to have a position and you need to have a solution for it, right? So I like to think also that as a sport, Tennis, the seven bodies of tennis, the Grand Slams, um, ATP, WTA, and ITF can be more coordinated. I'm seeing some of that. I think it's incredibly valuable. I think this week um, uh, there, is a, there is a summit organized by the USDA on mental health. We are participating. All the other bodies are participating. I think it's one of the first moments where you can start seeing coordination across the seven because ultimately I think that is the direction, right? Yes. And obviously, you still have space for uh, an identity of each of the seven, but realistically speaking, you can make the bigger impact if we're all aligned and coordinated. Absolutely. Very interesting. And in terms of engagement with the players, uh, we held a, t a terrific panel at Wimbledon this year uh, to talk about this subject. And Wimbledon, one of those leaders in this space that I suppose you may have been referring to there in terms of the work that they're doing. Do you think next year we could uh, do a similar event with, I don't know, 20, 30 ATP players in a room engaging them on this topic? Do you think there would be willingness if we sent invitations out? I think so. Uh, for, first of all, I'm an optimist by nature, but I also think that there is a strong desire from our players. The response they were saying is extremely encouraging. Obviously, it has to be authentic, right? People mm. have different passions. They also care about different things, right? So uh, I'm pretty sure that if you uh, uh, skim through our top 50 players or top 100 players, you will find uh, an important group of them that really care about climate, really care about sustainability. There might be others that feel closer and more related to other issues. Yeah. So I think that's the beauty also of having 
three strategic priorities because it allows us to find the right partners, especially at the players' level for, for each of the three pillars. Well, I, I know for a fact, having having watched them closely at Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic, Dominic Team, and Taylor Fritz, three players who bring reusable water bottles onto court to prove that it can be done. Because I know there are players and coaches who, who are a little sceptical about whether that can be done regularly because, A, they want to be able to break the seal of a drink. We can understand that, I guess, the threat of contamination. But also, the pre-mixed element to the drinks takes a lot of time, as you know, behind the scenes. But do you think that Dominic Novak and Taylor are proving that it's possible to find a solution to hopefully one day eliminate single-use plastics from tennis courts? Look, I think you have an example already out there with the three guys. Yes, absolutely. I think it, it is possible. As I said earlier, it starts with awareness. It takes one to start, right? And that's probably the biggest step that you have to make. And we've got three. That's not Ex bad. That's exactly. not a bad start. So <laughs> I think I think it's a matter of time and it's a matter of awareness and uh, a lot of a lot of the biggest trends that we see in the world today, they start with small things. So I don't mm. see why it wouldn't be possible. That would be a really positive step, wouldn't it, to one day... Be a, a, well, I think the French Open proved it this year, that, that it's very much possible. And do you think that should be down to the tournament to sort of almost give the players no choice? Would that speed up the process, do you think? Or do you think it always should be a matter of individual choice? I think it should be a matter of individual choice because uh, I think that's when it makes a difference, right? See, things that are forced, there is an element, certain things have to be in place, the basics, right? But then I think there is an element of, of individual contribution, that's what really makes a difference. And also, especially if you take into account the fact that these guys are so visible, they have such an important platform that if they really embrace it, if they really endorse it, that's when you make a difference. It's not because the tournament forces. Having said that, there should be an alignment on minimum standards, right? And that's what we're trying to do with our tournaments uh, toolkit, right? We're rolling out uh, a set of guidelines and recommendations that hopefully the majority of our tournaments will embrace. We're seeing, we're finding out that we already have a lot of tournaments that are extremely active in the space and that are sort of like setting benchmark. There are others that maybe are a little bit behind uh, in the journey, I would say. That doesn't mean that uh, today is not a good day to start, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And just as a final thought, do you have uh, a personal challenge, if you like, that you would like to set your organization for the next year, couple of years? What, what is the biggest challenge, do you think, in this organization in terms of making progress in this space? Look, I think it's a good question. If I think of what we're doing well now, we moved from a place where we were doing a lot of things, but they were not coordinated and we were not investing enough resources. So I think we're doing that. I think now we have a strategy. It's a long-term strategy, so we're not going to move away from it next year or try to chase something else. So we're in for the long haul and we know exactly what we want to achieve. I think the one thing that is missing, it would be my wish, is for everybody to get comfortable about it. There are certain topics that are not easy to talk about and they are not easy to face. When we start talking about diversity and embracing certain things and all of that, it's easy to read an article, it's easy to talk about it, but you really embrace it in your day-to-day yeah. -day actions, behaviors. So that, for me, is the biggest change. A lot of people are getting more comfortable. If there is one thing that I'm proud of is the fact that 
we rolled out our strategy, we're becoming more confident. The individuals that are associated to the ATP or gravitate around the ATP are getting more comfortable. So you create that type of movement, right? So if there is one wish that I have for the short-term future is that everybody gets comfortable talking about even shortcomings. There's nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely. Massimo, to that end, for exactly what you've just spoken about there, we thank you for your time and for coming on Emergency on Planet Sport. Thank you. Thank you very much. So thanks to Massimo Calvelli there and the ATP for inviting us to their penthouse suite in southwest London to discuss the direction that the men's tennis governing body is heading. First and foremost, Melissa, what's, uh, what's your reaction to, to what you've just heard? Yeah, loads of interesting things to pick up, I think. Um, the first that I really loved, you spoke about Massimo's background with Nike, and one of the first comments he made was that in order to engage in partnerships and relationships now, he thinks that you can't do that meaningfully without engaging with the issues that are relevant to the world. And I loved especially he had this phrase of, we're expected to take a position with confidence. And I think that that is key, the idea that sustainability may a couple of years ago been a footnote on the website coming in the back door and now it needs to be on centre court. It needs to feet planted firmly, taking a stance and saying this is something that really matters to us. It matters to the future of our sport. It matters to the future of all of us. And we're not going to say that shyly or quietly. Mm. It's going to be front and centre to what we're doing. And I really got the impression that because he started his first week in the job was at that Australian Open of 2020 yeah, oh that goodness. he talked about, where there were the bush, the horrific yeah. bushfires and really high temperatures. It just made for really uncomfortable conditions, both for the spectators, but also for the athletes as well. What a, what a way to start the job. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that one of the things I'd be interested in is seeing that level of concern translate into, I think that to be clear, the ATP is doing a really impressive amount. It's taken a really exciting stance. One thing that I was interested in was the moment where Massimo said, well, you flagged the reusable bottles piece. And Massimo said, well, I think that rather than push a, a rule around that, we would look for that to be an individual choice piece and it'll have maximum impact if it is made on an individual basis. To me, I don't disagree that it would have more impact if it was something that came from the athletes themselves, but... I do think that there's a time and a place for the simpler, more obvious things that should be happening at a hierarchical level from the top down. I don't know whether you saw it. A couple of years ago, um, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall did this piece about public health in Britain. And the thing that always stuck with me was this image of people in the underground moving towards the escalators or the stairs. And he put, um, or was part of a campaign that put these coloured footprints heading towards the stairs rather than the escalator. And it pushed up the footfall up the stairs by like 25 or 30%. And I just think that removing the opportunity to have single-use plastic is a sort of coloured footprints moment. It's not, it doesn't feel like a complicated ask. People understand or should understand the severity of the situation that we're facing. And so... I think things like that, probably for an organisation that is taking this ambitious, brave approach, should be the kind of obvious things to say, actually, this is just something that's not acceptable. Because we wouldn't, mm. Massimo talked about the other pillars that the ATP has, mental health, cultural diversity. We wouldn't have that sort of individual choice element with, with other social issues. And I think we really need to move to a place where sustainability, people are 
happier to say there's a right and wrong here and we're going to do the right thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you um, think? Do you agree or...? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm always a fan of bigging mm. up players if I'm doing a commentary on TV who bring a reusable onto court because if those people are given credit for it, in a way, if you're another player watching that match back at your hotel, aren't you a little bit ashamed that actually in a few hours' time you'll be bringing your gallons in your plastic bottles? I mean, there there is an issue around cross-contamination, which I can kind of understand. They're all so vigilant on making sure that their, their bottles are sealed and all that sort of stuff. So I think there is a little bit of a, a hurdle to get over there. But I think absolutely. I mean, why would you not? And I think it's something that will... We'll revisit later in the series because particularly in tennis, use of single-use uh, water is a massive issue. Specifically on Massimo, what, what other points should we bring think, up from your list there? So I was interested in... I've, I've shimmied them around a bit potentially in my thing. So one thing I want to say is he talks about these three pillars and that you can't do everything and you need to be laser-focused. And I would like to try to say a bit about yep. those aren't individual issues, they're interlinked. If we look to mental health, uh, there was a study that came out last year that found that 75% of people, young people, of 10,000 young people, 75% found the future frightening. Two thirds reported feeling sad and anxious. And this is the real killer. Over half, 56% of these young people were saying they thought humanity was doomed. And that was the language they were using. And I just think there is no way that we can talk about protecting mental health if we're not also addressing this colossal cause of that concern and anxiety for our young people. Looking at the cultural diversity mm. piece as well, I think that a massive piece of the puzzle that we have to address if we're looking at sport and sustainability is that we know that the global north is primarily responsible for the emissions that are leading to climate change and the Im impacts the severest impacts of that climate change are being felt by the global south. So the ATP looking to increase cultural diversity, it broaden the demographics involved in its sport can only be a good thing in terms of the, the merit itself of, of that breadthening, but also in terms of climate, we need those voices saying, look, this is the severity of the crisis that we're, that we're facing. So the message I would be saying to athletes is it's not an either or you do not care about mental health or climate cultural diversity or climate these are so interlinked and when we move on one we move them all yeah i think that's a really really good point you make there and particularly the extreme climate impacts on some of the least wealthy parts of our planet not only are those regions going to be the most severely impacted they are the least equipped to deal with it. I think another key piece for me um, was when Massimo was talking, you just mentioned about resources and the, the resources used by the Global South. Massimo was saying the two areas that we're looking to regarding sustainability are firstly resource consumption, secondly offsetting. I think that we maybe pick up on the offsetting piece a little bit after our next interview with Mark Epps. But the first piece, resource consumption, Massimo's comment was that COVID taught us a lot. It allowed us to understand that we don't need to travel everywhere. We can do more things virtually. And then he said, but we don't control the entire tour. And I think that was really interesting to me because it re-emphasised the piece that we already knew, which is that sports need to be working really collaboratively and across sport. He used the great example of the US Tennis Association bringing together the four Grand Slams and the ATP, the WTA, ITF, coming together around an issue of mental health. I think that stuff absolutely has to be discussed in terms of climate as well. We need those main contenders all coming together rather than 
really ever accepting an isolated approach of, okay, we'll experiment a bit over here, we'll try out a few things over here, and in mm -hmm. five or ten years' time, we'll we'll start moving on this together. We don't have even two years to be adopting that approach. It needs to be now and collaborative and then really across the board. Yeah. And not for the first time, that leaves us asking where are the athletes? Are the athletes in line with this? Are they tuned in? Are they buying into everything that their governing body is basically advocating? And um, that leads us, I suppose, onto one of these ideas that the ATP are developing. It's a carbon tracker app, basically for players. I mean, it could, it could be used by, I don't know, members of the media or supporters indeed in the future, but primarily the, the development is looking at how players could have this app on their phone and it can track their global travel and their global emission contribution so that they can hopefully bring that down in years to come. And helping develop this is Mark Epps from the ATP's senior communications team. Well, Mark, first of all, um, what, what can you tell us about the Carbon Tracker app that you've been developing here at uh, ATP Towers? Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for asking. Um, I think the way we look at it is, I mean, and Massimo alluded to this earlier, we control a very small section of the tennis picture. We have over 60 events globally that we don't run. They are licensees of the ATP Tour. And we also have players who are all independent contractors, and they make their own decisions. They make their own decisions about where they play, how they fly, how many people they bring with them. So our role in affecting real change in sustainability is influencing and creating the right tools to allow our stakeholders to make smarter choices. And when you look at the impact of tennis on the environment, something like 99% of emissions and impact are scope three emissions. And of that 99%, 95% comes from travel. So clearly, if we want to make a difference, it's about reducing the impact of our travel. So we started this journey with players about a year ago. We developed a very early stage. Essentially, it was an Excel spreadsheet, which allowed players to track their flights across the year. We would then calculate a carbon emissions total for them and then direct them to our partners, the gold standards, to allow them to offset those emissions. We are now looking to roll out something a lot more slick and a lot more user-friendly across the player body. So we're hoping to launch in Q1 of next year. It's going to make tracking and offsetting travel uh, as easy as possible for the player group, but it's also going to have the right incentives because our goal is in changing behaviours and changing attitudes towards travel. Well, that's very interesting because I was just thinking as you were outlining it there, if I'm a player, quite a wealthy player, and I'm heading off to my next tournament to pick up my next paycheck and endorsement deal, why should I care? Where, why should I care what this app tells me about my carbon footprint. But you've just mentioned the very interesting word incentive there. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you see that working? I think there's a very passionate minority of people who deeply care at a moral level about the planet and the environment. And thankfully that contingent is growing, but I still think that the majority of people are going to be inspired by incentives. With players, what could those incentives be? We've had a number of ideas uh, that we've put forward we love the idea of badging, which is a very simple, you know, green tick next to a player's name if they've offset their travel for the year. It's a way for players to show off their green credentials to fans, to sponsors, to other players. We've thought about introducing prizes. You know, could you, uh, 
could you come away with a nice Rolex at the end of the year for uh, for offsetting all of your travel? You probably get enough of them already, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's there's a number of things. You said it quite rightly. The top players aren't motivated by money, but the cool thing is we can be really creative with the incentives that we. Uh, build in yeah. to this app. But you want it to be more than just offsetting because offsetting isn't really the solution, is it, to the global climate em emergency. You want a, an active contribution as well. So I just wonder how you would, how you would measure that. No, you, you're spot on. You know, the, the goal is not to offset because, as you quite rightly said, offsetting is not the be-all and end-all. What we want to do is to change behaviours. So what does that actually mean? Earlier in the, in the interview, you referenced you know, flying private. That's absolutely an area that we should be addressing. So how could that look? Well, in theory, what we could do with this app is to aggregate all data across players and say 20% of all kilometers traveled across the year are done in private jets. Can we as a tour bring that percentage down over the next five, 10 years? It's little changes in behavior like, like that that will really make an impact because we're not going to stop traveling. We are global by nature, we will always be. And so if you work off the assumption that we always will travel and that travel will come from flying, it's about changing the class in which you fly, it's about changing or removing redundant trips, it's about bringing fewer people in your team with you. There's multiple ways to attack this problem. Yeah. None of that is gonna go down well with players though. <laughs> so, I mean, that now you're saying that you're the optimist. Okay, that's why I'm just the, the cynic in the room, just for the purposes of this particular section of the conversation. I, I, it's about how, how do you get those players on board to your way of thinking when ultimately it could be seen as being detrimental to their chances of doing well at the next tournament? I think, I, th I think you should rather view it from the other perspective. I think what we've seen over the last two years is that there is a huge opportunity for athletes to step up and to stand for something. I think the biggest athletes in the world, whether it's Lewis Hamilton's or the Naomi Osaka's or the Marcus Rashford's, they are all athletes that stand for something. And we see this groundswell of interest in purpose-led movements amongst young athletes especially. And you can see it reflected in their global popularity, their popularity with brands. So Rather than viewing it as a negative, view it as an opportunity to differentiate yourself as an athlete. Absolutely. I like that. So this, in a way, goes back to what SailGP were, were telling us earlier in the series about their impact league. This is effectively your own impact league we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So in tennis, how could that look? Are you starting to have those sort of brainstorms? We are. And thank you for, for sharing that idea with me. It was really thought-provoking when we, we spoke about it. It got me personally thinking about what sort of non-monetary incentives could we have, you know, linked to the tennis tour. Something, and this is, this is totally hypothetical at the moment, so, so don't... Uh, off the top of our heads. Off the top yeah, of my yeah. heads. But, you know, one of the things that uh, players uh, really value is practice court time and practice court time on marquee courts. Mm -hmm. So could we, in theory have an hour per day on a center court allocated to verified green players. Great idea. I mean, that's a brilliant idea. We'll see. That one may be deeply unpopular, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works. I don't know how practical allocation works, but if you're Novak or, or Roger, you tend to be able to practice on the main court, don't you? And I would imagine if you're ranked 75 in the world and you say, can I practice on the main court? The answer's probably gonna be no, we haven't got enough space. So actually there is an opportunity there for players to sort of have their own behind the scenes battle. I like, I like that. You know, the, the thing 
I, I'm really excited by this carbon tracker app. It's good to caveat, you know, that this is still very much in development. We're very excited to, to see where it, it goes. And if it's successful amongst players, you know, and it creates greater awareness and it changes behaviors, could we roll it out sport-wide? Mm. Could it be an app for fans to use? If you as a tennis fan are attending an event and suddenly within an ATP app, you have the option to offset your travel, that's part of a wider story. If you're then on the leaderboard next to your favorite players, mm. you're then part of the story. So there's so many things we can do with this. Maybe um, you then get transported to the front of the autograph queue. Maybe some of those We can be endlessly creative and that's what's so cool. So there we go. That's Mark Epps from the ATP. That is definitely an idea in development. They're not launching it just yet, but it's uh, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I would say so, especially when you're approaching it. I think that what sounded really intelligent about the ATP's approach was that they were interested in how you can change those behaviours and attitudes. And I'd be really interested to understand as they develop that. We heard from Katie last episode at Pledge Ball, Katie Cross, about how they were shifting fan engagement on these issues. And it is interesting to start mapping out how that could be done really meaningfully, impactfully with athletes as well. Because you're right, Mark described these individuals as independent contractors. And so we need to be really recognizing the impact of that. The other piece for me, the massive elephant in the room is sports relationship with offsetting at the moment. And I think that came out in your conversation with Mark. Um, it was discussed that the goal is not to offset, but we really need to make sure that we don't treat offsetting as a sticking plaster, a magic bullet, and it would be so easy for well-funded, wealthy sports to go down that rabbit hole of thinking, okay, we're going to assign all of these emissions as unavoidable, and we're going to use offsetting, which is a very, I think, Mm. really cannot be emphasized enough how much caution we should be approaching that particular attitude with. So I'm really interested to understand, especially maybe as this series progresses, how we engage meaningfully with that. In your brainstorming, and it's very early stage, there was a suggestion that players receive this green tick alongside their name if they've offset their emissions. To me, the emphasis shouldn't be who's offset, it should be who's reduced their emissions by most or who has the lowest emissions to start with. Because if you allow players to accrue prizes and, and recognition and, and you incentivize this this badge simply by offsetting, then I think it communicates the message that oh offsetting is a fix rather than offsetting is at, at best a sticking plaster for a problem we actually need to solve. So to me, the league table would be around raw emissions. Uh, but I loved Mark's idea about practice time being given to verified green players or the, the players who actually had the lowest emissions generated. I think that's a really strong idea. Brilliant. Thanks again to the ATP for speaking to us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get the whole series so far. You can email us at planetsportpod at gmail.com and we're on social media as well at planetsportpod. And um, we will see you next time. Thank you, Melissa. Have fun up the mountain. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Don't get lost in the clouds. Do you think you go into the clouds? (laughs) Oh, it's never cloudy in Scotland. What are you talking about? Sunshine all the way. Have fun, have fun. We'll see you literally on the other side. (laughs) 